We bow our heads in prayer. Come, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come and teach us and comfort us and bless us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to ask a question. And uh, I'm going to read it very slowly so that uh, you don't get as confused as I got when I wrote the question down. And uh, no peeping into your Bibles to find out quickly what the answer is. And the question is this. In the Garden of Eden, Garden of Eden, were Adam and Eve allowed to eat, now don't answer yet, don't put hands up yet, were Adam and Eve allowed to eat the fruit of the tree of life? Now, if, if you say no, or I don't know, then put up your hand. If you say no, or I don't know, put up your hand. Were Adam and Eve allowed to eat the fruit of the tree of life? The reason why I put my hand up, I mean, I looked it up afterwards yesterday, but it would be cheating if I knew the correct answer. So I put my hand up because when this question crossed, crossed my mind during the week, I thought, oh, blast. I don't know. I have no idea. What, what is it that they were allowed to eat? So I went back to the Bible and to my amazement, I discovered that they were allowed to eat from the, the fruit of the tree of life. They were allowed because Genesis said that God said to them, you can eat of any tree, any tree, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You can eat of any tree except the tree of the, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So they were allowed to eat from the tree of life and live forever. But because they were naughty, they decided to go and fiddle with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so God removed Adam and Eve from the garden. And God said in Genesis chapter 3, verse 22c, which means the third sentence in verse 22, the man must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. It's a no-no. Man must not be allowed to eat from the tree of life and live forever. Now, Revelation, what's new? A new heaven, a new earth, we can eat 
from the tree of life. That's one of the beauties and the exciting things. God has made it possible for us to live forever through Jesus, says Revelation. That's Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 to 6. And just a snippet from that, the angels show John the river, the banks of the river, have the tree of life. I haven't worked that one out here, but maybe some of you are a little cleverer than I am. You can explain to me, because I thought, the banks of the river have the tree of life. I said, hang on, it's only one tree. But I'm sure the explanation that I don't have this morning, only the fact that we are allowed to eat from the tree of life. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Another bonus. Anyone, anyone can come and eat of the tree of life, no matter who they are or what they are. It is for the healing of the nations. And uh, when I read that over and over, I thought, blast, the way things are going in terms of Russia and the Ukraine and other places in the world, the nations really need a lot of healing. So here is this tree that's for the nations, for the healing of the nations. Now this is what got me more excited because this is a magnificent, beautiful, colorful vision, a picture of the new earth. Note also the new earth has a river. The old earth had a sea. And in Revelation chapter 21, verse 1, John said, I saw a new earth. And here's the punchline or the key sentence. And there was no longer any sea. I saw the new earth and there was no longer any sea. What's so good about that? To the people of old, the sea was a picture of danger, of threats, of uncertainty and chaos and disaster and shipwrecks and monsters and dragons. And I always remember when that comes up, Leviathan, says the psalm, that sports in the deep, that creature. And all that is wrong and all that is negative is represented by the sea in the old thinking. And right in our time, I think we could agree with that, in terms of what happened with the island of Tonga, an undersea volcano explosion. So in the eyes of the ancient people, the sea was bad news. And Jesus' message that the angel showed John in Revelation, good news, the sea is gone. The sea is no more, no more uncertainty, no more chaos. And Revelation chapter 1, verses 2 to 6, and I'll read that. Revelation 21, 2 to 6. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, with all people, and he will live with them. They will be his people, 
and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And then after that, in the next chapter, verse 1, John says, Then after the angel had delivered that message, the angel showed me the river of the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne, God and the Lamb. Again, an exhilarating, very exciting, encouraging picture, a sort of a big screen image of what is what God is doing through Jesus, and especially the great climax, which is also the great new beginning. So Jesus is not concluding his work by taking us into a new beginning, but in terms of that, a fantastically new beginning. Revelation chapter 1, verse 1, has a bit of a hint, because people, I think, probably over the ages have asked, when? When is it going to happen? Because some of them who first came across this message already saw that. And the words that are in uh, John chapter 1, verse 1, says it will soon take place. It will take place suddenly and swiftly. How soon? And that caused a bit of confusion because some people thought it would happen this afternoon, it would happen tomorrow. And it seems to be in the sense of what Jesus said in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, which goes like this in some Bibles. Jesus was talking about the kingdom of heaven, and he said, the time is coming and now is. And of course, the experts and theologians say, what does he mean? The time is coming and now is. What does it mean? What does it say? One of the former churches I served in, when I left, Sue Van Omri, who is uh, some sort of a industrial artist, gave me a little plaque or a board with all the sayings that they picked up from me over the years. And one of those is... I always said, I learned on the Alpha course. I learned, and I did. And the Alpha course gave me a better idea of when this was going to happen. Because the Alpha course depicted that the new heaven and new earth are here, but not fully here. It has come, but not in its fullness. We have seen little glimpses and signs of it. And I would want to say there are many indications, many powerful hints all over the place of God's almighty presence right here in our naughty world. For instance, I came across this book. I didn't read it. I was looking for stuff about revelation in it. When Heaven Invades Earth. Some of you might know it. I never saw it before. I think it belongs to my eldest daughter. And as one of the archbishops used to say, this just fell out of the shelf. And I thought, wow, when heaven invades earth, a practical guide to a life of miracles, the presence and power of God now. 
God is here, but not fully here. The new heaven and the earth are here, but not fully. All that is still to come. It's uh, another one that I love to use before that I try not to use is wait, there's more. Wait, there's more. What we are seeing now is just a snippet of the true picture. And uh, what came to mind was some of the things happening in our time. And I want to read, there's about three pages. There were eight pages, but I cut it down because I didn't want to give people opportunity to snooze too much during the talk. So here we go. And just to see if we are all awake, how many people here have heard of St. Jude School, I'll say it the English way, Tanzania? St. Jude's School, Tanzania, on Tanzania. And some of the schools took a trip over there. Okay, here's another clue. How many people have ever heard about Gemma Rice? whose married name is now, and I brag with my African pronunciation, uh, Gemma Sesia. However, I'll read this, and if you fall asleep, just tell me and I'll start again. <laughs> Growing up on a fine wool merino farm outside, and I, I can't really, I don't know how to say the next word. Is it Gaira near Armadale? It is, it is Gaira, thank you. I tell you why I ask is because my children were at school many years ago with a family whose surname was G-U-I-Y. And we said Guy. And the lady said, it's actually French. It's Guy. However, start again, Trevor, and get on with it. People want to go home in three hours' time. Growing up on a fine wool merino farm outside Guyra near Armadale in northern New South Wales, Gemma Rice was a self-described Challenge junkie. She thrives on challenge. As the only girl in a family of eight children, she quickly learned to compete with her brothers when it came to mustering sheep and riding horses. According to her mother, Sue Rice, she became fearless and fiercely determined. She was always very definite in her views, even as a little girl, says her mum. I don't think you could ever talk Gemma into or out of anything. To say that Sue and her husband Basil, who died in 2004, were a deeply religious Catholic family would be an understatement. They converted their dining room into a prayer room, complete with crucifix, candles, and statues of Jesus. Out in the paddocks, among the sheep, motorbikes, and cattle dogs, they constructed their own stations of the cross. I like that sort of thing. Right in the middle of the busyness and the dirt and the grime of everyday life, the stations of the cross, depicting scenes from the crucifixion of Christ. It was instilled in the children that there was more to life than just having fun. My parents put a huge emphasis on our education, and I subconsciously absorbed that, says Gemma. In doing so, I felt that children from poor families should also have access 
to a good education. From an early age, it was always in the back of her mind that she liked, she'd like to become a nun. I was quite prepared to live in poverty and chastity. Gemma, I wrote Gemma, Cecilia, says the writer, told me in an interview at the property back in 2005. She discussed the idea with a school principal who thought she was perhaps too headstrong to be a nun and advised her to get a university qualification instead. After gaining a degree in biochemistry and genetics at Melbourne University and for good measure diploma in education, Cecilia, that's Gemma, at the age of 22, on the advice of a friend, set off for Uganda to work in a convent school. But the idea of becoming a nun or missionary went astray just a few months after her arrival when she took a safari on the Serengeti plains in Tanzania. Her driver was one Richard Cecilia. There's nothing like falling in love in the Serengeti, she says now. It's very romantic with all the animals and lions around. I fell in love with my wife in a township. I don't think there were any animals, but we sort of, you know, were very naughty and said, uh, well, there are lots of animals here, fighting and so on, going on in the streets. However, back to the Serengeti, it's very romantic with all the animals and lions around. Explaining to her family that she was going to marry a Tanzanian and live her life in Africa wasn't easy. They pictured her carrying water on her head and living in a mud hut. Also, for Sue Rice, that is the mum, the idea of her being with a local man was confronting. That was definitely, definitely a hard thing for mum to deal with, Gemma's brother Patrick told her. Australian story. Another country, another culture, I suppose the color. We were all worried about her, but prayed about it. There's another one I love. We were worried about her, but prayed about it. Rice told me, that is the mom. And when she really did say she was going to marry him, it was a shock. Because as a mother, you worry about your daughter's safety, as a father as well, by the way. She maintains that Richard's skin color never worried her. It was Africa that disturbed her. I was born in South Africa, and South Africa still disturbs me. So that's the truth. Initially, the school was staffed by an unlikely trio of volunteers. Cecilia, who'd never run a school. Angela Bailey, who was 19 and had only just completed an early childhood diploma in Sydney, and Kim Saville, 48 years of age, who had previously worked as a Sydney casting agent. We got away with a lot in the early days because of our naivety, says Saville. The school grew rapidly. Within three years, there were 500 students, and it was ranked third out of 204 schools in the district. It employed a hundred local staff, half of them teachers, and a team of builders who were constantly adding extra classrooms. A $15 million stroke of luck, 
arrived in 2005 when American philanthropists Gordon and Alan Smith visited Tanzania for a safari and decided to give their support to a local school. Just a reminder that this still has to do with the book of Revelation and Genesis and the new heaven and the new earth. I continue. When they got to St. Jude, they knew they'd found the one they were looking for. Gemma wasn't there when they arrived. She was in Australia. But we were impressed that the school was operating without her, says their daughter, Cindy Scarbeck. The Smiths offered to build a second St. Jude campus in Arusha, doubling the school size. And I just wrote in pencil because I edited that out. Gemma's father-in-law, a Maasai chief, gave the first block of land for the first school that was built. Every Saturday from August to December, hundreds of children line up at the school gates to compete for one of the 150 places, 150 places on offer each year at various levels. To gain admission, there are just two criteria. The children must be bright and they must be poor. A poverty check involves several unscheduled visits to the child's house to check on their living conditions. And while it is a Christian-based school, 20% of the students are Muslim and numerous tribes are represented. Revelation, all nations. I read on, students are accepted based on brains and poverty, not sex, tribe or religion, says Gemma. Today, every member of the teaching staff is Tanzanian. Students sit exams five times a year, and those who do not achieve grades of at least 70% are unable to stay at St. Jude's. It's a harsh policy, but one that's enforced not by Gemma, but by the parent committee. That's sustainability for you, she says. Tanzanians disciplining Tanzanians. For each alumnus, you know, alumni, former students, that future begins with a year of community service, including three months of military service, followed by a giving back period of teaching in a Tanzanian government school. Before going on to university, Judika Ammon 20 wants to study business. In offering her this education, Gemma has, she believed, saved her and other girls from early marriages and mundane lives. We call this, says one of the girls, we call this heaven, and it's truly heaven compared to the government schools. As Revelation says, a new heaven. We call this heaven, says the girls. To us, it might not mean much. To them, it is a new heaven, a new chance in life. It has changed our lives and opened up an opportunity for a great future. Nearly at the end, in Tanzania, where a cornfield once lay, there now stands a school where kids formerly had no better prospects than mining cows. Children are receiving a life-changing education. Sue Rice has no more doubts about her daughter's unexpected path in life, even as she recognizes that Gemma is unlikely ever to return to Australia to live. 
I am more than proud of what she had achieved, she tells me. I am in awe of all that she's done. Well, many lives changed. That is a story close to home, and even close to, closer to home, I think everyone, or those who were here that Sunday, heard Sandra's testimony and what she has started in Indonesia. There's another one right here at home. And also, I'm not going to give details, but I have personal family experience of a prayer wonderfully answered about four weeks ago when I came to Helen and said, would you pray for? But that's the story of another time. Back to this one and and um, Revelation. The lives of many people have been positively changed by the actions and activities of ordinary Christians and, as the Alpha Course say, simple people like us. Just a little thing or two little things and someone has a life-changing experience. And so the lives of people are transformed in a miraculous way and we are seeing and having glimpses of the new heaven and the new earth. The all-powerful power of God is here in our midst and Revelation hints at that. Praise God that we can have some of that power. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you give us normal people a part in the wonderful ministry that you are doing on this earth. And so we pray, Lord, that you will pour more of your spirit on us as we thank you for this St. Andrew's family. May your holy name be praised in all we do and in all that is meaning for others in terms of a new creation, a new heaven, and a new earth. To your honor and glory we pray. Amen. Amen.